Well, would you turn with me to our master text in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. We've now arrived at the very last of the six basic doctrines that Hebrews chapter 6 says that we need a master to go on to maturity. Uh, and that is the subject of eternal judgment, which sounds a bit more ominous and scary than uh, it really is. I'm here with good news this morning, okay? I'm here with good news. Uh, the doctrine of eternal judgment is foundational to our faith because every single person needs to know that we are going to face a future time of reckoning. And it's important to know what kind of judgment, what kind of judgment that we're going to face according to the choices that we made here on earth and uh, know how to prepare for our personal time of reckoning before the Lord. Now, before we read the master text, um, I just want to make a quick point here about the image that you see that I've chosen for my title slide of the balance scales. Because many people think that God weighs people's good deeds against their bad deeds, and that's how he judges us. But that's not at all how it works. Uh, remember, we covered this in two previous teachings, that uh, God doesn't let people into heaven based upon them having more good deeds that outweigh their bad deeds. That's not how it works. We come through Jesus or we don't come at all. All right, so with that said, let's go ahead and read our master text. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Stand with me and let's honor the reading of the word of God. This is the revelation of John. And he says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. That's how awesome God is. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that, that were in it, and death and Hades, or hell, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And all God's people say, Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, again, that sounds more ominous than it really is going to end up being. Uh, so, again, I come with good news for those of us who are already in the faith today. Um, but I want to dissect what we just read. So let's look at verse 12 for a moment. I really want to dig into this and extract all that we can out of this and really understand that passage. So let's begin with that phrase, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now that phrase, small and great, means everyone, regardless of their status, everyone. And the passage that we just read really has more to do with those outside of the faith. And then it goes on to say that books were opened and another book was opened. So it talks about books, plural, and then a single book, which is the book of life. So here we find that God is a keeper of records. God's a good record keeper. He's a keeper of records. And there were books, again, plural, in heaven. But notice, again, the one book 
called the Book of Life. And that's the book that holds the names of all of those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So your name, if you've done that, is in that book. Uh, Another reference to this, by the way, is found in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent his disciples out on a missionary journey. And then they came back rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You remember that? And you know what Jesus' response was? My paraphrase is that he said, yeah, that's great, but even better is the fact that your name is written in the book of life, so rejoice over that. Yeah? So verse 12 goes on to tell us there in that passage what will happen to those whose names are not written in that book of life. They will be judged according to what is written about them, about their works, in those other books. Remember it said that there were books that were open and then another book. So those other books were the deeds of those whose names are not written in the other book, the book of life. Are you following me so far? Okay. And then in verse, in verse 15 of that passage, it says, And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And this is the eternal destiny of every person that dies without Christ. If they're trusting in their own righteousness, they say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need the Bible. I'm a good person. And so, therefore, I don't have to rely on all that religious stuff. If they're relying on their own righteousness, which is not righteousness at all, according to the Bible, the Bible says that even on our best day, our own righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to him. So those people who are relying on their own righteousness and reject the free gift of salvation of Jesus Christ were thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible says. And again, I know, and I I said last week, I know it's not culturally comfortable or correct to be talking about hell and eternal judgment and the lake of fire, but we are obligated to know this and to be proclaiming that there is judgment to come. There's wrath to come for those that don't make Jesus their Lord. And you might say, well, how's that fair? Well, folks, I told you before that if you stand before a judge and just committed extortion, he's not going to let you off based upon the fact that this is your first offense. Right? You committed a, a crime, and therefore, you're going down. When you commit a crime in God's system, you're going down unless the scapegoat comes in to take your place. And that scapegoat is Jesus Christ. And the only way to get in on that free offer of salvation is put your faith wholly and fully in him. So then, that eternal destiny of the unbeliever, by the way, of the lake of fire, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. Your mind can't comprehend that. That should motivate every believer to be spreading the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ that you don't have to go to the lake of fire. You don't have to be judged according to your unrighteous acts. You can have all those things wiped away. That's the message that we need to be preaching. In some way, shape, or form, we need to be involved in spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I agree with what Charles Spurgeon said. Look at the screen. He said... Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. So if we are saved, we need to have a passion to see others come into the faith as well and avoid that fate. But I want to go on now and talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Because again, this is part of the eternal judgments that we need to understand. 
Now, it's important to point out that the great white throne judgment that we looked at in that passage, I talked about that a little bit last week, that great white throne judgment is reserved for the damned. You and I, if you've accepted Jesus, will not have to face that white throne judgment. Um, But there is a judgment for believers, a separate judgment for believers called the judgment seat of Christ. And this event is reserved for true believers, and it appears that it will will occur after the rapture of the church during the seven years of tribulation while we're in heaven. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to get away from this topic for just a second and take a little bit of a side journey, and then I'll circle back around to the uh, the point that that I'm making right now. But I want to take a side journey since I just mentioned Uh, the tribulation and the rapture of the church and all that, because I'm hearing a lot of people right now talk about uh, end times, the end times prophecy and and all that. I've I've had several conversations with people about it. Uh, Bill Bill, Bill gave me a a book by, um, forgive me, his name is again, Jimmy Evans, who's an expert in end times prophecy. So I'm looking forward to reading that. actually started reading it this morning, actually. Um, So uh, there's lots to talk about this right now, and I've seen posts on Facebook. I saw one really long post on Facebook on uh, the the end times and, and, um, you know, Jesus' imminent return and all that. Um, So because there's so much talk about this right now, and since I mentioned that, I just want to take a side journey just really quick and, um, and just talk about that a little bit. I'm going to go out on a limb here. So would you bear with me for just a minute as I do this? I want to ask the question, um, and I don't want to rock too many of your paradigms because I know that there's people in this church that don't even see the end times prophecy eye to eye. There's some people that are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and no-trib. Seriously, I mean, the, the, the beliefs are all over the map. And I haven't talked to all of you in the congregation about what you believe along those lines, but I know there's different opinions even within our congregation, and that's okay. Um, Because I'm not an expert on this. I I read things that have led me to a certain conclusion, and I follow people like Rick Renner, who I think is a phenomenally intelligent theologian, and um, my reading the scripture kind of falls in line with what he teaches. But nevertheless, I do, I do want to ask this question. Why do Americans think, why do Christian Americans think that just because we're seeing more upheaval and we're seeing persecution creep into our culture, that somehow it must be the end of the end because America is experiencing some of this? All right, now hang with me, hang with me. Again, maybe the return of Christ is upon us right now. I don't know. Maybe the return of Christ is upon us right now. And if if it is, that's great. Bring it, Lord. I'm ready. Hope you are too. But if it doesn't happen that way, I think a lot of Christians, Western Christians anyway, are going to be surprised and perplexed if we're still around for 20 more years and beyond. See, folks, persecution, as Pam was saying earlier, persecution has been around since the first century. Christians 2,000 years ago were being horribly persecuted in Rome. So persecution isn't anything new. Uh, The Bible tells us that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted in some respect. So we need to be prepared to face that if it comes. And if it comes... It doesn't necessarily mean the world is coming to an end. 
Now, listen, people in North Korea and China and Iran have been facing terrible persecution for generations. So to them, it might seem like that we're in the Great Tribulation right now. As I've told you before, you and I just need to live like we're going to die tomorrow, but plan like we're going to live forever. That's called occupying until he comes. That's what the Bible says, to occupy until he comes. What's that mean? It means be about the business of the kingdom while you're waiting for Jesus to return. Don't sit on your hands and say, well, Jesus is coming back any day, so I don't have to do anything. No, occupy until he comes, even if you think it's going to be tomorrow. This is one of the mistakes that some religious sects have made, in particular the Jehovah's Witnesses, who have predicted a cer- on a certain date that Jesus would return, and some people quit their jobs and went on, uh, up on mountaintops to wait for Jesus to come back on that day, and of course that never happened. They, that, that happened three different times that Jehovah's Witnesses did that. First of all, Jesus said, I, I don't even know the day or the hour. Only the Father does. So then, what is the great tribulation then if it's, it's, if it's not about persecution? Well, I believe that it's a, a global event. Now, first of all, let me say that the great persecution as it is, or the great tribulation, I should say, the great tribulation as it's described in Scripture is a, a seven-year period. And again, persecution has been going on all over the world in different places for 2,000 years. But the great tribulation is a seven-year time period, and I believe personally that a great tribulation is not going to be certain pockets in certain regions or nations, but it will probably encompass the entire planet, or at least most of it. So a seven-year period that's much more intensified that encompasses probably the entire planet. So, no, I don't necessarily think that the return of Christ is upon us right now. I mean, maybe it is, and it would be great if it was. But I'm prepared, personally, to live out the rest of my life into old age and to be fruitful during that period of time if the return of Christ tarries, and I hope you are too. And if it happens that way, by the way, all the better, because that means that we'll get more time to store up treasures in heaven with our fruitful labor here on earth. Okay, so that's the mindset we need to have. Occupy until he comes. Regardless of where you fall in end times theology, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or no-trib, we need to be prepared to occupy until he comes. That's the mentality that we need to have. All right, so with that little side journey, let me get back to my main point. Again, there is a judgment for believers called the Judgment Seat of Christ. And this event is reserved, again, for true believers. And it appears, from my reading anyway, that it will, it will occur um, after the rapture of the church during the seven years of tribulation while we're in heaven. So during that seven years, two events will take place involving the redeemed. And the first one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the sec- that's, the, that's the party, by the way. The, the party that we're going to have when we get to heaven. Yeah. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? It's a, it's a party. God likes parties, okay? Not the kind that you all have been to, but a different kind of party. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good one. You know, it lasts for a long time, lasts for seven years, okay? Now that's a party. Uh, the second event is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, There are some misunderstandings 
about the judgment seat of Christ that I hope to shed some light on today for you. And again, I come with good news. So one common misconception is that the judgment seat of Christ will be a place and time where we stand before Jesus to give an account of all of our sins. All the sins that we've ever committed in our whole life. Uh, some people have taught that we'll stand before Jesus. And uh, have you ever heard it taught? I have. Maybe some of you have heard it taught as well. That when we stand before Christ, a movie of your life is going to be projected. And Jesus and the angels and all your friends and family are going to see every sin and every act that you ever committed. Have you ever heard that? Any of you? Yeah. Okay, I have. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see that movie. Whether it's your movie or my movie. I don't want to see a movie like that. Uh, but here's the good news. That is not what the judgment seat of Christ is about at all. Let me ask you this. Why would God deal with us at that time? about sins that have already been placed under the blood of Christ. All right, so let me give you some scripture here. Romans 8.1, Now there is, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. God's not going to forgive your sins here on earth and then bring you before the, before the judgment seat of Christ and bring up all your sins all over again. All right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Folks, listen, our sins have already been dealt with definitively. They, listen, they, they were put on Jesus when he hung on the cross, folks. And they were removed from our record permanently when we repented and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Listen, once your sins have been placed under the blood of Jesus, they are placed there forever, never to be brought up again. I think we need to take a praise break right there. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. You see, that's the gospel. That's good news, isn't it? Let me give you another one. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite line, by the way, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It's like a baseball player, you know, that takes a ball and throws it in one direction you know, from the east to the west, and it's like a straight line, and it just keeps going. And it's out of sight, and it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, has he removed our transgression from us? That is an infinite line. All right, then, what is the judgment seat of Christ actually about then? All right, that's what we're going to talk about. Well, the judgment seat of Christ, look at the screen. You can fill in the blanks in your bulletin there. The judgment seat of Christ is not a place of condemnation, but a place of assessment. And it is a place of distribution of rewards and position. So, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, He will, ass he will assess our obedience to Him as our Savior and Lord. We won't, our sins won't be reviewed. But he will assess our obedience to him as our Savior and Lord. What, what, what I mean by that is that it will be a place of evaluation. And on the basis of that evaluation, rewards 
will be given. And our position of service in the millennial reign of Christ will at that time be revealed. You see, in this life, we are currently in a qualification period for the next age. I want to say that again. In this life, the life you're living right now, you are in a qualification period for the next age. See, it's a huge mistake, folks, to think that you're only living for right now. Or you're only living to just get into heaven and that's it. Now, certainly, getting into heaven, even if it's by the skin of your teeth, is still glorious, um, way more glorious than the alternative. All right? Praise God. And, of course, victories here in this life are also wonderful. But our present level of obedience is qualifying us right now for a very long period of service in his kingdom during the millennial reign and then on into eternity beyond that. So what happens at the judgment seat of Christ then has nothing to do with your sins, but everything to do with your level of service in this life and will ultimately determine whether we will be small or great in God's eternal kingdom. Are you following me so far? All right. So remember, the eternal judgment, this topic of eternal judgment is fundamental. Uh, it's a fundamental and foundational doctrine to our faith because it's absolutely vital for us to understand. It's crucial that you know full well what the Bible teaches about the judgment seat of Christ and how you can prepare for it. We need to know that we will stand before Jesus, those of us that have been redeemed. We will stand before Jesus without shame. Without shame. Romans 14 verses 10 and 12 says this, For we shall stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now that word stand, I want to focus on that for a moment so you, we really understand what this is saying. That word stand in the Greek is the word peristomi. Peristomi. And in essence, it's saying that those who are redeemed will not grovel in the judgment. We're, we're going to stand in the judgment. See, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a place of humiliation where we will grovel on our faces. That's why it uses that word stand. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll not have to give an account of our sins because, again, those have already been put away. Rather, we will stand before him as those who are washed in his blood and robed in his righteousness. So that's why it uses the word peristomi there. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not grovel because of being ashamed of our sins. Now, having said that, I also believe that we will at some point bow before the throne of Christ, but not in humiliation. See, for those who are in Christ, um, who served him in this life and who received his forgiveness, we will bow, but we'll do it in thanksgiving and reverence. See, as the scripture also says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now listen, some people are going to do that in terror. But other people are going to do it in rejoicing and thanksgiving. 
and in reverence. Praise God. Do you remember this image that I showed you on Easter Sunday? That's kind of like what this passage is describing. We're going to stand before him and he's going to robe us in his righteousness and the filthy rags are going to be done away with. That's not what we're going to be clothed in. We're not going to have to give an account for our filthy robes representing our sins. We're going to be clothed in Jesus's righteousness. Isn't that great news? Hallelujah. Let's uh, look at this uh, Romans 14, 10 and 12 a little closer. Uh, let's look at the judgment seat. So, for we will all stand, for we shall stand before the judgment seat of God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, let's, again, look at that word judgment for a moment. And it's interesting, by the way, that that word judgment, as it's translated in the English, um, does not appear in the original Greek at all. That word isn't judgment. It's the word bima. Now, here's why that's significant. Um, the word bima is taken from the Isthmian Games, which would be equivalent to our modern-day Olympics. And after the games were concluded, the victors came before a platform that was called the bima. And this was a place where the judge stood uh, to place the laurel crowns on the heads of those who had competed well. It was not a place, by the way, where uh, the losers were whipped or condemned. Thus, Bema was historically a place of evaluation and designation and distribution of rewards. That's what the Bema was. So by using that word Bema there, the Apostle Paul was in essence saying that uh, we are like spiritual competitors running a spiritual race. And just as victorious athletes of the Isthmian Games appeared before the Bema to receive a physical reward, one day we will be brought before the Bema seat of Jesus and receive our appropriate rewards for our particular levels of service and obedience. Okay? Are you, are you following me so far? Is this okay? Okay. This is all good news. Now let's look at another passage in that same segment of Scripture. Let's look at the phrase, give an account. Well, that comes from the word logos. And it means a word, a statement, a speech. Reasoning expressed with words. A divine utterance expressing the thoughts of the Father through inspiration of the Spirit. So what I'm doing right now is actually logos. I'm logosing with you, if you will, because uh, I'm expressing the thoughts of the Father through inspiration of the Spirit. So how does this apply to our, our subject then? So what this is actually saying is the, that we are going to give a factual report to Jesus. You got to get that. So when it says we shall give an account of, him, of ourselves to him, it means we are going to give a factual report to Jesus. All right, so what's that report going to look like? It will be a report of our level of obedience to what we've been called to do in God's kingdom. Let me say that again. It will be a report of our particular level of obedience to what God has called us to do in his kingdom. It's, a, it's like a movie I once saw where a man had died, and beforehand he had arranged 
for there to be a trust or a will where all three of his adult children, his estate would be divided up among all three of his adult children. Now, two of his children were close to him and were diligent throughout their lives to be productive and fruitful people. But there was a third child, a son, who was estranged to his father and did not live a particularly good or fruitful life throughout his life up to that period of time. So when it came time for those adult kids to um, appear before the father's attorney who divided up that state among those adult kids, the two children who had remained close to their father um, got the lion's share of that inheritance of their father's estate. And the son who was rebellious and estranged from his father still got an inheritance because he was still a son, but it was very small compared to the other two. And I sort of liken that to how the Bema seat judgment is going to be for some people. See, some Christians will stand before the Lord as redeemed children. Yes, they will still get into heaven. But their level of reward will pale in comparison to others because they were not diligent with what the Lord had given them to do while they were here on earth. That's why Jesus said, by the way, in Luke 12, 48, look at the screen, to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much more is given, much more will be required. It's like if an employer sees someone with managerial qualities and they give them a promotion and they, they step them up to a managerial position, they're going to expect more out of that person at that point. And when God gives gifts to his kids, depending on the gifts given, to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much more is given, much more will be expected. So, you know, even though there's no shame before the judgment seat of Christ. Follow me on this. Uh, even though there's no shame at the judgment seat of Christ, I wonder, though, if there might be some regret. Now, now follow me. This is a speculation on my part, but follow me on this. Revelation 21.4 tells us that God will wipe away our tears in the new Jerusalem. Now, I wonder, though, why there would be any tears at all once God is dwelling among his people and everything is put in order. So I wonder if there will be tears in heaven due to people realizing the rewards that could have been theirs had they just been faithful to what God had called them to do. Had they not been so self-centered and only been willing to deny themselves a little comfort once in a while in order to ad advance the gospel in its various forms and shore up weak areas of their churches and do more to touch people's lives who are less fortunate. Could it be that there will be tears in heaven when people realize the loss of reward and then God has to wipe away our tears in the new Jerusalem? And could it be that that's what the Apostle Paul was writing about when he wrote to the Corinthian Christians? Let's read that passage of Scripture for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15, follow this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, 
Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Here's what I'm getting at. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and have uh, received his forgiveness, you're on your way to heaven. But your work while you get there is being evaluated. And there will be rewards or losses accordingly, depending on what you did with the gifts and abilities and the resources that God has placed in your hands. So as I said earlier, we all need to be about the business of advancing the kingdom in its various forms. God's given all of you various gifts and callings and talents and abilities. Some of you, he's given abilities with money. And for those of you that have resources, he expects a return off that. Some of you, he's given artistic ability. He wants a return on that. Some of you, he's given a musical ability. He wants a return on that. Uh, as a matter of fact, can I just share a little personal uh, anecdote with you for a moment? You know, when I was younger, I thought it was really cool to play guitar. You know, you, you know how, how it is when you're younger. It's a, you know, I play guitar, so, and that's cool. When you get a little older, you, you don't worry so much about being cool. You want to look distinguished. Am I, am I right? You want to look distinguished, especially when you, you know, get older and get some gray hairs. You just, you know, you don't care about the cool part anymore. You don't care what people think about that. You just want to look distinguished and maybe intelligent and, and that sort of thing. And, and so I've, <laughs> I've been guilty of thinking, Lord, I don't want to play guitar and sing anymore because that's not distinguished. That's a cool thing that young people do, right? I, but not for 55-year-old men with white whiskers. And, and the Lord had rebuked me and he said, I expect a return off my investment in you, regardless of how old you are. And regardless of whether or not you think it makes you look distinguished or not, I expect a return on my investment in you. And it's like, yes, sir. I will play my guitar to your glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. So for those of you that have any sort of ability, some of you have speaking ability, teaching ability, he wants a return off that investment. Some of you may have abilities that don't seem to maybe um, have a place in the church or maybe have a place in the kingdom. Like Sharon Bringle, as an example, is a wonderful cook. She loves to do bakery stuff. And I, I don't know, Sharon may not feel this way, but I know that some people with those kind of skills may not think, well, you know, I don't, I, I don't speak. I, you know, I'm not a speaker or a teacher. This is all I know how to do is bake things bake muffins and things of that nature. For goodness sake, use it for the glory of God. There's a place for that. There's a place for that. Sewing, there's a place for that. Uh, remember the story of Dorcas? When Dorcas died and they were all grieving over her and telling stories about her and they were showing some of the clothes and the tapestries that she made because her skill was sewing. So that's what she did. She made things for people to bless the poor. And, and so they were all passing around all the things that she did. Whatever God's put into your hands, maybe it's mechanical. Maybe, it's, um, maybe you're good with building things. Um, maybe you're good with AV equipment like Doug is and, and Noah and some others in our congregation have those skills. He expects a return off, off his investment and you use those for his kingdom. 
Maybe I haven't mentioned your particular skill set, but God's given you something. Even if it's the ability to just make friends well and people like you and you can begin ministering the love of Jesus to them through relationship. Maybe that's all it is. We shouldn't minimize any of the skills or abilities that God has given us. He expects a return off our investment and to be advancing his kingdom while it's still called today. So that's why I took that rabbit trail for just a little while there when we were talking about the end times. I don't know when it's going to happen, folks. I don't. It could be next week. And if it is, awesome. That's great. But if it's another 20 or 30 years, we need to be about the Father's business while it's still called today. And again, if his return does tarry and we're here for another 20 years... All the better because you are storing up treasures in heaven along the way. And that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, the longer you're here, the more treasures in heaven you're accumulating. And I like that. All right. And that's why the Apostle Paul, you remember me talking about last week, said, Man, I'm torn between the two. I don't know whether or not to go on and be with Jesus or stay behind for your sake. But I realize that even though it's better to go to heaven, me staying behind for your sake is better for your sake. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was storing up treasures in heaven in the meantime. All right. So, last slide here. I want to end with this. Redeeming the time. And I'll get to our scripture passage in a moment. Some of you already know where I'm going with that. But I want to say this just prior to reading this. I'm going to end with this thought, although this is a much bigger topic than what I can cover in one teaching. So uh, I'm going to do a part two of the eternal judgment part of our series next week because I just I want us to simmer for a couple of weeks on this topic of eternal judgment uh, because, you know, this is so important to understand for how we live right now. If you really understand eternal judgment... It's going to affect how you live. I'll say that again. If you really understand eternal judgment, it affects how you live right now. Because you know you're storing up treasures in heaven and there's gains or losses of reward. If God's called you to something, by all means, you better be about his business, investing that back into the kingdom for his sake. So, um, you know, that eternal destiny that's waiting on us, it's a good thing. And the longer we're here doing the work of the kingdom, the bigger and better that eternal destiny gets, depending on how faithful you are to it. So again, let's end with Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And folks, the days are evil, aren't they? So we need to be making the most of every opportunity every day. Do you agree with that? Stand and pray with me, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.